This is the third week of a series that we have entitled simply Prayer Power. Everybody say it together. Prayer Power. The Bible tells us in James chapter 5 that the effective prayer of a righteous person has power and accomplishes great things. How many of you have already believed, that's nothing new to you, you believe that prayer, effective praying, accomplishes something and has power? How many of you already, you believe that for some time? I know even agnostics that believe that. All right? So that doesn't take a whole lot just to believe that. But we're wanting to take you deeper into the concept, the patterns, and the principles of prayer because we're in the midst of a prayer and fasting season. Uh, we're, gonna, we, we're dedicating five Sundays to the subject to prayer teaching, and the purpose is to both inspire you but also to instruct you to help you to know how to pray more effectively. Uh, I grew up and even in my young life after having my divine encounter with, with the Holy Spirit in 1971, um, basically all I heard about prayer was pray more. Every message I heard basically said, prayer is really important. You ought, you ought to pray more. I got to the point that I felt so beat down about prayer. I'm like, this is not fun. This is a burden. I had experienced two different views of prayer, and thank God over the years I have been moving in a better trajectory. I wouldn't say I have arrived, but I'm moving in a better trajectory now. I used to view prayer in one of two ways, either as a duty, and I'm not saying it's not dutiful, either as simply a duty, we have to do it, hey, you know, it's kind of like you drive a car, you've got to put gas in it. Or I viewed it as a drudgery. There were times that I felt I needed to pray, even when others were praying with me. I'm like, you know, I, was try I remember trying to pray years and years ago when I was a young, young uh, minister, trying to dedicate my prayer. I, I would read about great men of God and say, man, they prayed three to four hours a day. Mm, I, mm, Lord, help. I could barely get through an hour. I mean, getting through an hour felt like I was pulling a thousand tons. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all acting all holy on me here like <laughs> y'all act like no one even relates to what I'm talking about. Come on. Man, I just felt like I can't do this. I just felt so beat down. I felt like I was an unworthy Christian. I wasn't very good, much less I'm supposed to be a minister and a pastor. Oh my, this isn't good. So early in my ministry, I had the blessing of meeting a guy. It was in 1982. Met a guy became a good friend of mine, and I say this for you old-timers that have been around for a while and known these things, uh, a guy named Larry Lee, Dr. Larry Lee. And uh, Larry became a good friend of mine. He pastored a church outside of Dallas, Texas, called Church on the Rock. Uh, it is no more, and there were scandals and things that unfortunately ruined Larry's ministry down the road. But there was a season of time that God used Larry to bring emphasis to the how-to-pray aspects. I told you last week of my experience on prayer and fasting mountain in Seoul, Korea. I told you how impactful that was and uh, how it really revolutionized my view of prayer. And uh, uh, that was really important. But Larry helped me to see something. I I'm honest now. I don't, I don't, let's see, 1982. I mean, I, I came to Jesus when I was five years old. Up until that time, I had never heard what Larry 
taught me. Now, these days it's far more widespread, at least ramifications, versions of, of this same approach. But what I learned from Larry was that Jesus actually taught us to pray. Jesus provides us a way, a pattern for prayer. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. So I want to start with an interesting scripture from Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 7. Listen to what it says. And you'll notice that Jesus picks up part of this verse in the Gospels and he repeats it. The prophet Isaiah said, These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Would you notice that it doesn't say drudgery? It says joy, or let's use the word delight. From duty and drudgery to delight. I will give them joy in my, watch. say that, house of prayer. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus, when he's cleansing the temple from all of the marketing going on in the temple, he cleansed it and he used this prophecy from Isaiah, picked up on it and said, my house will be a house of prayer. What an interesting verse that tells us that prayer doesn't have to be a drudgery, doesn't have to be just dutiful. It can be delightful and it can be full of joy. How do we get there? Andrew Murray, the great author and the great uh, minister, uh, says this. And if you've never read Andrew Murray's material, you really should listen to this quote. God rules the world through the prayers of his people. God rules the world through the prayers of his people. That God should have made the expansion of his kingdom to such a large extent dependent on the faithfulness of his people in prayer is a stupendous mystery. And yet it is an absolute certainty. You better reflect on that. The expansion of his kingdom I personally actually believe that even the timing of his return is partially connected to the prayer of God's people on earth. Now, if that is true, let's turn in our Bibles, and I'm going to ask you to look at the Scripture and your device or your tablets or your, your Bibles and hold your place there and... It is well known, but I want to spend all of the rest of our time right here. So you can just turn to it and, and walk with me through it. Jesus and his disciples were together in Luke's version of this, which is in Luke chapter 11. He said that he had, one of his disciples came up to him and the disciples said this, Lord, teach us to pray. The disciples had just observed one of Jesus' regular escapes for prayer. You go through the whole Gospels and it simply says what? And Jesus went to a place to pray. Jesus pulled away from his disciples to pray. Jesus did this, pray. I notice an amazing pattern of this. Went to prayer alone, came back and did miracles. Went to prayer, came back and taught the word. He went into prayer 
and he ministered to people's needs. He went into prayer. There's never ministry that's separated from prayer. Effective ministry must begin with an effective prayer life. Are y'all hearing me today? I know a lot of people say, man, I want to minister. What they really mean is they want it in the pulpit. You'll never be an effective minister, whether you're just, a, 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 every believer is a minister in my book. As a minister, as a Christian, as a disciple of Jesus, as a preacher, as an evangelist, as an apostle, as a deacon, as a children's teacher, whatever you may be called to do, you will never ever do it effectively until you learn to add a dimension of prayer to your life. They said, Jesus, just teach us to pray. Have you ever been at that point that you're like, now these guys have been praying. These are guys that have been praying. But now they say, please, Jesus, teach us to pray. How many of you ever felt like that? You got through with prayer. I think at the end of this 21 days, I'm going to probably say, Lord, <laughs> man, you just got to teach me how to pray. I gave my best, but Lord, teach me to pray. How many of you could agree with that? 20%. All right. <laughs> Jesus then said this. Focus on verse 9, the very beginning part. Listen to what he said. Pray then, all right, because you asked me, pray in this way. Pray in this way. And Jesus proceeds to give us a model prayer. You see, listen, Jesus not only calls you to pray, he not only models and exemplifies it in his personal life and ministry, but he also gives us a very clear instructional model and outline for prayer. What is this usually called? It's really a poor label. Most of the Bibles, will the heading will say, the Lord's Prayer. Do you know why this is an inappropriate title? Because this wasn't Jesus praying this prayer and now we say, oh, that's the way he prayed. No, this should be better called the disciples' prayer. Parenthetically, the Lord's prayer is in John chapter 17, but that's another point. You can look at it on your own. This is not the Lord's prayer. This is the disciples' prayer. This is your prayer. This is my prayer. This is Jesus saying, you want to learn how to pray? I'm going to teach you today how to pray. This is my lesson on how to pray. Make notes. Take notes and learn it well. Speaking of notes, by the way. I have provided a one-page outline of what I'm going to teach you today on the how-tos of prayer. It's out there. There are about 50 copies. I don't know whether you want it. You can take good notes right here, but if you happen to want it, grab it as you go. All right, just, I just thought somebody was going to ask, and I would jump ahead. All right? So this is the prayer that he provides us to pray. It is an example that sadly has been mistaken for a prayer that we are simply to pray as a formula. Or it has been mistaken by mainstream Christianity as something we simply pray together or we repeat. I don't have time to back up into the context, but in verse 7 of this text, so Matthew chapter 6 and verse 7, in verse 7 of this context, do you know what Jesus says? Don't pray using repetition. Now, what do we do with this prayer? Repetition. Am I right? We use, we use repetition. I'm not saying it's vain. I'm just saying 
That's how somehow we've adopted and it's been passed down. Oh, okay, everyone together, let's all hold hands. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Now, I'm not against that. It's okay. I'm just saying that wasn't his intent. His intent wasn't to say, everybody repeat this, everybody together, say it. That wasn't the plan. The plan was, I'm going to give you a broad outline. Here are the topics and the themes that when you pray, this is a good outline for you to cover when you're praying. Avoid repetition, and immediately after he says avoid repetition, he gives us an outline for prayer. Hello? You get it? All right. So, I believe that this provides you and me an outline of the general structure and topics that we should include in our regular prayer life. So we're going to read it, and then I'm going to walk through it. I'm dividing it up into six prayer topics. Okay? I've outlined this as to six parts. Six parts. Um, let me just read. That's right. Jesus keeps everything simple, doesn't he? Let's, let, let me read it. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Literally, the evil one, by the way. Literally. Deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All of you are familiar with that. But you may not be familiar with the key elements that are covered, and I'm just going to do them one by one. This is the model prayer of Jesus, and I give, think you, it gives you a great outline. Number one, I just gave each of these a title, and then you'll see the phrase that it relates to right below it on the screen. All right? The first part, this prayer begins with adoration. Adoration. Everybody say this phrase with me. Our Father, are y'all with me? Say it together. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus says when you start off praying, it's a good thing to start off with praise and adoration. It's a good place to begin. Just start worshiping, praising, adoring your Father who is in heaven. Our Father who is in heaven. The first thing I do whenever, whenever I'm doing this is I, first of all, just think of my Father. That God is my Father. In Aramaic, the word here for Father, and by the way, this, in this text, the word Father, there's different words for Father, but in Aramaic, this word is what we're familiar with sometimes when we read in Galatians, it says, Abba, our Abba who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. The first thing I do is I think, Lord, I'm so thankful. God, I'm so thankful that you're my father. I'm your child. You've adopted. 
adopted me into the family of God. You've included me in your family. I didn't deserve it, but you included me because you provided the work of your son Jesus, and now I'm a part of your family. I've been adopted in. The blood of Jesus is for me, and now Jesus is my elder brother, and I'm a part of the family. I'm an heir of God. I'm a co-heir with Christ. I'm just so happy today to bask in your presence because you are my Abba Father. It would be today as if you use the word Papa. My grandkids, you know, when you become a grandparent in this hour and day, it is a huge deal to figure out what are my grandkids going to refer to me as. Most of my friends say, I'm not allowing them to call me Grandpa and Grandma. Most of my friends say, uh-uh, not interested in grandmother and grandfather. I don't know. It must just be the generation. But anyway, that is not a popular trend. This isn't so much motivated by the, the your children. It's motivated by us old folks who don't want to be called Grandpa. All right? So we adopt some kind of name. And I mean, I have heard all of Nana, and, and, and I've, I've heard them all. Just so you know, that is Mimi. This, I'm going to make sure you're clear on this, is not, mine is not pee-pee. Mine is poppy. Some people make that mistake. They say Mimi and pee-pee. It's not. I'm just trying to clear the air here. All right? Just trying to clear the air. Just being real. Poppy. Poppy is a common reference to a father and an intimate reference to father in both Africa and in, in Spanish-speaking countries. So I said, why not? So I am Poppy, all right? I don't care what name you use. The point is, is an intimate, um, close, informal reference to father. God wants you to have that intimacy with him. Call him Abba. He's father. What he is suggesting in this prayer is that you not get all formal. Our Father. <laughs> Leave that for someone else, okay? Just say, Daddy God, Papa, who's in heaven. And then it goes into this adoring motion of hallow be your name. What does the word hallow mean? It means to worship with honor. To hallow means it's special. You can't take, uh, it, it, it's not just a toss away, casual. It's interesting because in this very phrase under the adoration section, you have both the intimate reference of Papa, and then you have the reference to hallowed be what? Your, your name. Did you know that praise, this adoring section, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, this is praise. This is the time you just start cranking up the engine and you start warming up in praise because the Bible tells us in Psalm 100, verse 4 and 5, that praise is the, is the passcode. It is the password to get into the presence of God. We go through the gates of no. Am I going to have to make you open your Bibles? We go through the, th the gates of and into the courts of thank you class. All right. All right. Praise is the password to getting into the presence of God. 
Some of you say, I'm not feeling God's presence. Just keep praising him. Praise gets you in there. All right. So this section is all about that. Now, I'm going to do one more thing. When you use the word hallowed be your name, you are climbing to a new level of respect for God and reverence for who he is. You are ascending to the very heart of God to recognize who he is and what he has done for us. Someone's name represents who they are and what they've done. Your name means everything. God's name means everything. And so I, I, this is a teaching in and of itself. Many of you are familiar with the different covenant names of God. There's about nine or ten of them in the Bible. But I just am just pointing out to you that whenever I pray using, pray using this model, I don't do this every day, use these, but I find it's a very great way for me to remind myself of not only who he is, but what he's done for me. So I say, Lord, I hallow your name today. Oh, I just worship and honor you for your name, for who you are and what you've done. Lord, I Thank you that your name is Jehovah Jireh. You are the Lord, my provider. You meet my needs. You take care of me. Lord, your name is the Lord, our righteousness, Jehovah Sipkenu. Lord, it doesn't need to be my righteousness. It's your righteousness that's been imputed to me. Today I stand in right standing with you. The Lord is my shepherd. It is Jehovah Rohi. You are my shepherd. I shall not want. Sometimes I'll just go ahead and quote the rest of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. The scripture tells us, Lord, that you are also my healer. That is Jehovah. That's not right. That's not right. It's not seed canoe. Uh, where did I get all mixed up? Oh, I repeated that. Sorry. Jehovah Rapha. The Lord is my healer. You are my great physician. And I go off on that for a while. Then I go, the Lord is also my peace. Your name is what? Jehovah Shalom. You are peace to me. And then your name is Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. Literally, this means, Lord, you are my victory and you bring victory to my life. I thank you, Lord, that today I'll live in victory because you are Jehovah Nisi. All of these are names of God. So you're saying what? Hallowed be your name. How many of you think that that section will get you started right in prayer? Some of you get through that and you go, I think I'm done. (laughs) You just got started. You just got the engine turned on. The second part of the prayer is what I call consecration. And the phrase is this. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he goes on to say what? Say it with me. Your kingdom come, your will be done. This, when it's speaking of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is God's jurisdiction. It is where he rules and reigns as king. When you say thy kingdom come, it is a request on your part that God's control, his reign, his rule descends into whatever area you're declaring that over. Jesus said, when you pray, say this, let your kingdom come. In other words, let it descend, your reign, your rule, your control, your management into these situations. We know he's king in heaven. But is he king over your mind? 
Is he king over your job? Is he king over your kids? And this is where you say, Lord, I'm consecrated. I'm surrendering like we sang this morning. We're surrendering ourselves. My marriage, my family, myself, and I take time on each of these. My church, my community, my state, my nation. Oh, God, it needs it. And beyond, in all the parts of the world, Randy and Lori are here today. They're leaving tomorrow for Thailand. And we thank God this is their last Sunday with us. And so make sure you hug them before they get out of town. But, that, you know, this is where you pray for Randy and Lauren. You pray for Morgan, the others that we're sending out in the mission field, all the unreached people parts of the world, uh, all of the, the needs of the world, you could spend an hour praying for one section. So what are you praying? Whatever God's will is in heaven, that's what I want here. How many of you think it's better off in heaven than here? Is it better off in heaven than in your life? Is it better off in heaven than in your job? Then you have every reason to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done right here in these parts of my life. That, my friend, is consecration. The third topic is provision. Number one was what? Adoration. Number two was what? Consecration. Number three is provision. Say it with me. Give us this day our daily bread. This, my friend, is where you put your focus on your needs. Physical, financial, career, whatever. And notice the emphasis is on daily. I think it's always great to pray in advance, but this is a moment where you really lock in on what do I need today? Give us my bread for today. Now, some of you, you like to stock up bread long term. But when manna was released from heaven, they had to gather it how often? Every day. Every day. They could, couldn't use old bread. So pray for your daily bread. When you do this, be specific. Be specific. I need, Lord, I need this kind of a raise. I need this much money to end my month with that I'm short. And I'm asking in faith. When you pray this, use Mark eleven twenty four. Pray a prayer of faith, believing that you have received. If you pray this prayer, give us my daily bread. And you say, Lord, I, I know that you're, you're kind of short right now. And you may not have enough. And I, I know that I probably don't deserve it. And Lord, you know I've been disobedient. If you're going to pray like that, just don't even waste your time. Pray prayers of faith when you're praying for provision. Remember last week when we covered the six kinds of prayer? We said petition. This is petition. You pray in faith. You pray with specificity. And you are tenacious as you lay hold of these needs. That's give us our daily bread. Number four is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Read it with me. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is not talking about financial debts. This is talking about offenses. This is talking about resentment. This is talking about your sins and how other people have sinned against you. A couple things you want to make sure you cover at this point. This is where at least I always begin by confessing anything the Holy Spirit convicts me of. Something that's, that's unconfessed in my life. According to 1 John 1, 9, I know he's going to forgive me. Amen? So I ask God to forgive me of my sins. And then I say, Holy Spirit, if I'm holding resentment or bitterness, if I've had an offense with someone and I haven't resolved it, if it's unresolved, would you bring it to my mind right now? And I'm always shocked, James, how many people God brings to my mind. I'm always, I say, wait a minute, I don't remember. 
Better, better release him. And that's when you simply say, I forgive so-and-so. I release them. I forgive them. I forgive this organization. Forgive that manager that fired me last week. I forgive them. This is where you set your will to forgive those who sinned against you, who have offended you. The issue here is not who's right and wrong. The issue is you getting right with God. You releasing it. You can't handle bitterness. You're not designed by God to live with resentment in your life. Get rid of it on a daily basis. Right here is your prayer to pray. Number five, protection. Say it with me. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. I think this is pretty obvious. The prayer here is Jesus saying, on a regular basis, you need to pray for protection for you. We are responsible to pray God's word, hedge of protection around ourselves, using God's word as we instructed you to do earlier, and use God's word and pray those scriptures around you. Put a hedge of prayer around you, your marriage, your family, your job, your friends, whoever it may be. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 13 through 17, it gives us specific aspects of the armor of God. In verse 10, it says, put on the whole armor of God. It repeats itself in Ephesians chapter 6 repeatedly. Put on the armor of God. Put on the armor of God. Whose responsibility is to put it on? It is not God's responsibility to put it on you. Someone say amen. amen. It is not God's responsibility to put the armor on James and Thelma. It is James and Thelma's job to every day say, Lord, I am putting on your armor. It is, it is provided for them already from a positional standpoint. It's provided in heaven. But they have to stay, take a stance and say, Lord, what you have provided me, I put on Jesus Christ today. I put on the full armor of God, and I like to just spell them out. Lord, I thank you that you've given me all these aspects of the armor. You can get them right there from the word of God. But what does that include? It includes wonderful things like, Lord, I thank you that my loins today are girded about with truth. I'm wearing the breastplate of righteousness. My feet are shod with a preparation, the readiness of the gospel of peace. I've got the shield of faith to quench all those fiery darts. I'm putting on the helmet of salvation over my mind. And hallelujah, I've got a sword that is a sharp, sharp sword. It's the sword of the Spirit, and with that I can do warfare. Hallelujah. That, my friend, is praying for protection. That's a pretty good thing to pray, wouldn't you agree? And wrap it up with exaltation. How did we begin? First topic was what? Adoration. How do we end? Exaltation. Isn't that interesting? It's like the door. Come in one, you come in the door, you leave the same door. It's all about praise and worship and exalting him. Read it with me. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I like to close, even as the scripture said in Psalm 34, 1. His praise will what? Continually. Once a week? Continually. Only during 21 days? Continually. Once a year? Continually. Be where? Not just in your mind, not just tucked away in your memory banks, but where? In your mouth. When you close that prayer time, set your notes aside, put your journal down, stand up and just say, oh God, this kingdom is yours.
Jesus. You are the king. And I'm exalting you. Everything belongs to you. The kingdom, the power, and the glory. And not just now, but forever and ever and ever. And thank you for hearing my cries today. Amen. My friend, you have just completed Jesus' model outline that he said, you want to learn to pray? Pray this. He wasn't telling you to pray a rote prayer. He was telling you to use this as a guide to cover themes and topics in your regular prayer life. The last thing I just want to say is, it works. I challenge you, just one day, try it on. One day, take the notes, follow them one day, and see, see how long you've prayed. Jesus rebuked his disciples because he couldn't stay awake one hour to pray. Just see, I, I'm, not, I'm not one of these that says, man, you've got to pray this number of minutes a day or you're not even, you really aren't, you really aren't a serious Christian. I, I don't, I'm not that at all. But, but, how many of you would like to find a disciplined way to have joyful, delightful prayer experiences where you're not watching your clock? Let's stand to our feet. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that we all would move from drudgery and duty to delight. And this morning as our prayer teams come forward, I want you to remember we have corporate prayer once more this Wednesday morning at 6, Wednesday evening at 7 for any and all of you that want to come and be a part of that. It's a unique experience in this particular Wednesday night. It'll be a soaking prayer experience. And if you don't know what that is, come and I think you'll be blessed by it. So corporate prayer on Wednesday. But now I want to pray for you. And if you don't know Jesus here today, you don't have a relationship with God and all this seems quite strange to you, you can meet him. And it's a step of faith. And these couples, there's four teams up here ready to pray for you. All you need to do is come forward as we close the service in just a second and ask them for prayer. They'll pray for you. They'll listen to your heart. Whatever you may need, they'll agree with you in Jesus' name. Can we pray together? And then Stephen Wynn is going to come and close you with a blessing. Father, it's good to talk about your word and the wisdom and direction you offer us. I'm praying today that each and every one of us would take to heart the messages that we're teaching over these five weeks and that all of us, individually and corporately, would move out of dutiful, out of drudgery prayer. Move us into delightful prayer. That joy that you promised in Isaiah. Lord, we pray for it. We ask that you help move each of us into a deeper place of intimacy with you, Abba, Father. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen and amen. Please come for prayer. Stephen, come and close us.